Welcome to the Been There, Got Out podcast. I'm Lisa, a state certified domestic violence advocate and veteran of more than eight years in the trenches of the legal system, the last five successfully representing myself. And I'm Chris. I'm a certified high conflict divorce coach. And between the two of us, we have all this knowledge and experience that we never wanted. But now we can put it to great use, providing expert guidance to people in high conflict divorce and custody situations so you have the best chance in court and beyond. Having the right support from people who get it is so critical to getting you and your children through it as unscathed as possible. And that's exactly what we do through our interviews with experts and other content right here on this podcast. So let's get to it. In this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast, we welcome back Los Angeles family lawyer, Padita Jafari, for part two of our two-part interview. We continue our conversation by discussing why narcissists fight for what they don't actually want, why parenting is so hard for them, tips to strengthen your case when there is unspeakable abuse against your children, and how to handle smear campaigns on social media. Take it away, Lisa been there, got out. Sorry, a minute or two late. We just were getting off with a client. Um, so today is part two of what we started, I think it was last week. And we're welcoming back our, oh, there's her husband. Hi, John. We're welcoming, we're welcoming back Padita Jafari. And um, we're going to continue the conversation on how toxic people weaponize the legal system. Let me see if she's here. Um, I want to get her on. But what's super cool, there we're on opposite coasts, and she just happened to be in New York City. Uh, okay, Dita, just accept. There you go. Okay, so I was just saying, we just met in real life yesterday and had breakfast together. It was so much fun. Yeah. And there's a picture on our Instagram stories, both of us. Yes, and... Uh, and Chris and also my husband, John. So um, the boys joined us. So yeah. it was it was quite a nice um, breakfast. I think it was a four hour <laughs> breakfast, which uh, we both said that that was going to happen. And it was lovely to see you in person and just get to give you a hug. Because yeah. <laughs> a lot of times we see um, and we have friends from all across the world on our Instagram and we don't get to ever see them in person. So it was just nice to see you and give you a big hug and get your books and have them signed for some of our clients. So thank you so much for that. And also to Chris as well. Oh, you're welcome. And what's, what's neat too, is it's almost like, um, a first date, you know, when you meet someone online, you don't really know if you have chemistry. It's sort of like a, you're a little nervous. I was like, I hope we really like her as much as we do <laughs> on Zoom. And so we definitely did. And um, I'm so glad. So, and we have all kinds of things planned besides today's interview. Yes. So welcome back. Let's continue the conversation about how toxic people, men and women, whoops getting a phone call, um, weaponize the legal system. And for people who haven't seen part one, Padita, can you just quickly review your background? Because you're one of those unicorn lawyers. Oh, great. I love being referred to as a unicorn. Um, so I've been a divorce and mediation lawyer for um, 
20 years. I have a law degree from Southwestern University School of Law and a bachelor's from Loyola Marymount University, um, where I study communication studies and minor in psychology from, um, you know, from my college, um, all located in Los Angeles, California, where I have my practice. During law school, I was a judicial extern and later clerked for the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office in a special unit handling child rape and molestation cases. I've also been an adjunct professor at various law schools and at NYU, um, also at smaller schools in Ventura County. Um, as you know, I'm extremely passionate about family law and helping my clients sort of navigate one of the most difficult decisions that they're ever going to make, which is, you know, tearing basically the family apart and, um, you know, also their children, um, everything that their children go through with the separation and divorce. So I go through all of that and I'm very passionate about what I do. Uh, we really don't do it for the money, although um, people are always accusing us of bad, bad, bad people because we're divorce attorneys, but we don't cause the divorces, obviously. Um, as you know, I'm a hopeless romantic myself. So um, it is sort of a difficult time in people's lives and we just like to educate and, and help them to become survivors in the midst of really traumatic experience which is um, the process of divorce yeah and your background in psychology and especially your background working with children and rape victims i mean that's that's tremendous i think that's something that i don't know if i've ever heard of an attorney that's bringing all of that to the table so we really appreciate your perspective and we're going to get into that. But speaking of that, um, you know, we deal with these high conflict cases. Credibility is the number one thing, right, in court. So why is it so important? Why is it so important for people to believe you? Well, okay, so judges get to know lawyers in their county, okay? Um, for example, we go to judges' events. Um, some attorneys play golf with judges. They get to do that, um, especially with family law. It is such a niche um, area of the law. It's not just civil litigation in general, but family court, especially in Los Angeles, Ventura, Orange County, Riverside, where we practice, all the judges, we pretty much know them. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to call them by their first name. Um, we're going to have deference to them, but we're going to know them and we're going to know um, the style that the judges like. And so therefore, credibility is very important. And for our law firm, it's extremely important because I, at some point within the next five to 10 years, am going to be running for judgeship. So for me, it's extremely important. And that's why I tell you know potential clients I don't take every case, and what I like to um, say is that we represent sort of the sort of the victim survivors um, and not um, the mentally ill, the toxic, the narcissistic um, male or female, and that's because I can explain to a person that's not mentally ill why we have to do a certain thing, but with a toxic person, or especially someone with um, narcissistic personality disorder, they have a mental disease. And so they're constantly gonna be combative, not only through 
the judicial process and the legal process, but also with their attorney, because they're going to constantly be fighting with us saying, no, no, we don't want to do that. Or we want to file this motion. And you're thinking as a lawyer, this is frivolous. Like, why am I doing this? But unfortunately, some attorneys, they don't know narcissistic personality disorder. They just think, okay, well, I have to represent my client vigorously and aggressively to the bitter end. And, um, and like I said before, a, a lot of times narcissists will find attorneys that are also narcissists. So then you have those um, types of lawyers that they'll just advocate for their clients to advocate for them. And it's like, that's not how this works. You know, that's not what justice is about. Justice is about being truthful and honest and putting the evidence before the court so that the judge can make an informed decision based on the evidence, not based on emotion. So, um, yes. So that's why I say, I think um, your partner, Chris, yesterday said that you represent the sweethearts. And the sweetie pies. The sweetie pies. And I said, I think it's more like sweethearts, but sweetie pie, sweethearts. But we also, um, at our law firm, like we will reject clients. And I will know within the first you know, 10, 20 minutes, because I, I see, I want to know what the client wants from the divorce. What is the end goal? And I'll know right away if they're, you know, really want to to use every stall tactic and every motion, or if they really want to settle the case in a in a reasonable, fair way. I mean, it's it's still going to be difficult, but you know, if they're reasonable and fair, then that's the client that I want to have at my at, at our firm. So. Okay, so when you said that you can tell in a few minutes, 10 to 20 minutes ish. Um, what they're like, is there, is there a signal or a, a thing that comes up often when you ask them what, what are some of your goals that are like, a, uh, that's someone I don't want to work with? Yeah, so I have sort of like a list of red flags that I look for. Um, and I suggest your audience also, um, the ones that are dating, look at these red flags as really like hard stops. Because I think a lot of times what happens is people go, oh, well, I can change this. But uh -huh. in reality, narcissists, you can't change them because they have a mental disorder. And there's a couple that we know, like from social media that say, we've gone through therapy like our entire lives. And that's why we know that we're narcissists and we're trying to help people, you know? And so um, here's a couple of red flags. Um, they rush into a relationship. Like I always ask, how did you get into a relationship? Like, how did you meet this person? How long did you date them before you asked them to marry you, right? Um, if they say anything like it was a whirlwind and I didn't know what happened and not good signs, okay? Um, if they say that they have a lot of crazy exes, as they say, oh, you know, I have a baby mama or I have a, a, a baby daddy and, you know, he's crazy. And then I have five other guys uh, bef before that and 10 after that. And it's just, no, a, a lot of crazy exes is not good. Now, they may have, you know, one or two, right? Because they don't know that they're narcissists or toxic or maybe they were dating them when they were teenagers and now they're, you know, in their 
early 20s, so they might have one or two. But if every single person they've ever dated has done them wrong, that's a red flag. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> what is going on? Um, they don't have good relationships with their children. Like if they're completely estranged and they're like, you know, my child doesn't want to see me, but I want to force the child to see me and you got to get me custody, red flag. Like there's something, you know, really mentally wrong there. Um, also, if they don't like, I know this is going to sound funny, but if they don't like animals, or they abuse them. That doesn't you know, if, sound funny. Yeah. That I mean, makes sense. I mean, you know, if they're like, oh, she can have the dog. I didn't want that stupid dog anyway. You know, if they're talking about things like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to them, right? And I'm taking notes like, okay, stupid dog, huh? Okay. You know, like that type of thing. Um, you know, obviously, like some genders, we won't mention who because we'll get in trouble, don't like cats. Like, that's fine. Okay. But if, <laughs> but if for some reason you're just like, I hate animals. I mean, we had people like this, Lisa. It's not a joke. Like, we hate animals. We're, we're so glad that she's getting the dog now and I see that dumb dog and you're thinking, what? You know, um, so if they don't like animals, if they have poor credit, like, obviously, they're always living off of someone else they have poor credit and listen people go through bankruptcies and we are very you know um sympathetic and empathetic to that but if it's a repeated no steady income bad credit living off someone else red flag um, right so these are patterns of behavior this isn't like you're saying if you have this one thing no you're probably not at yes, all because so this is like a whole history yes okay. and and thank you for making that clear because people come for me all the time in the comments because I don't quantify it but yes these are like you know if you see a couple signs of these right it's like a hard stop um, and then it's people that think highly of themselves too like you know I should get the kids because XYZ like, nobody entitled. should entitled. entitled their ego it's like I should well why tell Tell me why the other parent, you know, shouldn't re see their child. And I remember very early on as an attorney, like 20 years ago, I said something in court and I'm very careful about what I say in court, obviously, because everything is transcribed and in some courts it's filmed. And I said something like to the judge, some, it was something along the lines of it's okay if, if dad sees the child. It was something like that. And the judge admonished me and said, well, what do you mean counsel about it's okay? And so I was like, oh, you know, and so just things like that, you know, it's like, of course we want to be, you know, deference to the court and deference to the court and say, you know, dad and mom and things of that nature. But we're very careful how we talk about children in the court after that, you know, yeah. but that was a, I was a, brand new baby attorney than 20 years ago. Um, so those are some of the red flags I think that I look for and I think your audience should look for as well when they're, you know, because a lot of times I know your audience, like some of my audience too, they listen to me after the divorce because they're like, well, what is she going to say? You know, and some of my clients say, I want you to meet him before I get remarried, you know, to somebody else. Wait, and they like, want you, their divorce attorney, to meet their new yeah. partner? 
months after their divorce is finalized. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Interesting. Because they trust my instinct. And I'm like, here's a list. Here's a list. Just go through the list, you know. Um, <laughs> but these are some of the red flags. Um, and, you know, here's the other thing. Here's the, 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 the way to escape all of that is, don't, you know, there's, a, there's an Instagram that I did and a TikTok about don't get married in your early 30s. Um, until you're, you know, until you're in your early 30s. You mean like, in your 20s? Yeah, don't get married until you're in your early okay. 30s. Like, don't get married in your 20s um, because you're you're dating. And if you had some childhood trauma, that's all going to come up really in your 20s. You know, in your 20s, you're in college. Now your parents aren't there. So a lot of things come up at that point. So uh, someone said in, your, in the chat, um, that's, my ex has every single one of those qualities. I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to trigger anyone. And so don't get married until you are in your early 30s. Okay. Then the other um, video I did was date for at least four seasons. People came oh. after me for this. But you want to know within a year, like you want to date somebody and see what they're like. If you've been in a narcissistic relationship and now you want to move on and start dating again after the divorce, wait, wait a while. You know, don't jump into the first relationship and make, get married. So also talk to their parents and their friends because that says a lot about them. Sometimes friends, when they're a little bit drinking, will tell you things like, oh, you know, so-and-so. So talk to those people, talk to their parents, you know? And so these are just some of my red flags and how to kind of navigate them. Yeah. They're not foolproof yeah. and use them as you will. But as a divorce attorney for 20 years, I think I'm qualified to speak on this. So definitely that's super helpful. And it's funny because when you start talking about animals, my antique golden retriever, who's over 14, started squeaking a toy. And now he's still, so if you hear little squeaks, that's him in the background. Yes. But anyway, something you said when we were talking about credibility, in my head, I was thinking, how can a client be really, why is credibility so important for a client? But the way that you answered it was also interesting because you made it clear that your own credibility as an attorney is important. And, and you're basically saying you don't want to put your reputation on the line in an area where you're well respected and known by taking clients that are bad that are going to make you look bad because how can you argue a good case for a bad client i mean i'm sure some people can but yes yeah. um some people can because i mean the reality is they don't have a conscience themselves i mean you know there are defense criminal defense attorneys and I say this to my husband all the time, how can they sleep at I night? And he says to me, about to say that. how do they sleep at night? And I said, well, it's really easy. Psychologically, I can answer that question. They have no conscience. Somebody pays them $50,000 or $100,000 to represent them in a criminal case. They don't care. They don't have a conscience. Or maybe they think, well, you know, there, there's constitutional provisions and, you know, it's not something we could do but i'm just saying you know there are attorneys like that so just like there's mentally ill clients there's also mentally ill people in every profession so um so my husband is saying date two or three years <laughs> i live together uh and 
um, how is their relationship with their family? Do they have long-term friends? Things of that nature. So yeah, um, okay. yes, he All knows. Right. So um, he's been married to he's been married to me, so he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, oh, I was going to go to my next question, but something just popped in. It says, "Explain why one's own attorney would not be a fierce advocate for her client, even with documentation of the opposing side's lies and unlawful acts." So why wouldn't someone advocate for their own client? I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, I don't either. Because for us, we need to see documentation. Later on in this discussion, we're going to talk about how, you know, judges go by the law, the facts, the evidence. And so Trish in Tampa, if you give me the law, if you give me the facts and the evidence, the documentation, then I will argue your case and I will put the, the law with it, right? To argue your case. But I don't, I can't explain why somebody else is not advocating. We have a case right now. Um, it's actually in a different state. So I had to get licensed in a different state to sit pro hoc vice, which is called, you know, a temporary, um, temporary lawyer in a different state because my client was not represented well in that state by her attorney. And so when I heard it's a child abuse, um, sexual molestation allegations case um, with from one parent to the, to the other. And so I can't explain why her attorney did not represent her, um, you know, and her attorney was, you know, a hops and a jump away from the courthouse. You have to realize something, just like there's bad apples in every profession, there are bad apples in the legal profession. And some people on here would agree, your audience said, there are a lot of bad apples in the legal profession as far as judges, you know, lawyers, law clerks even, you know, um, the transcribers, I mean, there, there really are. And so, I can't speak to your individual case, but I can just say if they're not representing you with vigor and um, being assertive and advocating for you, it's time to move on. And that's what the client did with me. Actually, her mom contacted me from this other state and said, my daughter is in trouble because her attorney's not representing her. So, you know, we need an attorney from California. And I was, you know, like, what? <laughs> As if I'm not busy enough. So yes, I took on her case because it was a sexual, um, sexual abuse allegation um, from one parent to another. So what is my husband saying? He's a some attorneys litigate noise versus addressing the law and trying to find solutions. Yes, that is 100% true. Yep. So um, yes. So anyway, Tricia, I, I suggest that you email either Lisa or I after, because I do want to help you, but um, I think your case is very particular. Um, and so, you know, you're saying that that's not one transparent fire. Well, I don't know what type of attorney you had, but obviously they were not advocating for you. Um, and that's a shame. Yeah. So. Okay. So um, I wanted to ask, why do narcissists specifically fight for things that they don't even care about? That's a great question. <laughs> um, one thing I think that the audience 
and sometimes my clients don't understand is narcissists are have a mental disorder so it's not like and i said this before um in part one last week it's not like you and i where we would not fight for things we don't care about right like why fight for something you don't care about? It just doesn't make sense. And plus, you're going to spend more attorney's fees. You're going to upset the other person. You're going to upset the court. Why do that? It just doesn't make sense. But for narcissists, that's not the way they think. When you are divorcing a narcissist, you are taking away their control that they had over your life and over your soul, which is something we discussed last week, which I think... It needs to be um, talked about again. When you're in a relationship with a narcissist, they wound your soul. They don't just take your finances, your emotions, your mental health. Spiritually, they break you down. They wound your soul. And so, therefore, it's really hard to explain this to someone that's never been in a toxic, narcissistic relationship. So... That's why, to answer your question, they will fight to tooth and nail for sometimes child visitation and custody. And when they win, according to them, they don't ever see the child again. You and see so it all the time. Like, what, what happened? You know, and this happens with moms and it happens with dads. What happened? What, you know, you're, it's like, I had a case like that where I was representing the sweetheart and it was the dad and it, this was in um, Palmdale uh, Lancaster court and I had to drive an hour and a half, two hours to get to court. But this dad was, you know, he would come to court. He was always crying. He was telling me, I love my child. You know, I have such a great relationship with my child. I do all these sports with my child. And she was fighting tooth and nail. and. The hardest part was the the mother had moved further. So she had moved to like Ventura County. So she had moved like three hours away. And so what the judge said, well, mom's going to keep primary custody and dad's going to get visitation every other weekend. Well, that wasn't enough for him, which I understand. So he was crying the last day of trial. You know, I was comforting him. It was it was such an, even the judge said, I can see how hurt you are with this, but what can I do? I what else? There's no other option, right? So literally, I think it was three months later, he called me and he said, you won't believe this. And I already knew what he was going to say. He said, the son's name was Christian. This was years ago, so I can say the son's name. He said, Christian's moving back with me. Um, she decided to get married and start a whole new family in a different state. She didn't want to take them. And now Christian's back with me. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, if you would just hold your peace and then just trust this process, she doesn't really want custody. She's just fighting you to fight. And so his child support went down to zero and he got his son back, which that's all he wanted. And then the mom would, you know, see the child, you know, on, you know, holidays and, you know, Christmases and things of that nature. But she didn't want the child full time. She just didn't want dad to win. And what you don't understand, and some audience members might not understand, these narcissists have to win. So sometimes what we do is we say, okay, let's make this a win for you.
you know, and we do the reverse psychology where we, they think that they're winning when in fact we're getting what we want. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting I what know. the client wants. It's hard to be patient and, and often it's hard for people to see that they need to feel like they're winning and there's ways to strategically make them feel like they're winning, but you're actually winning, but it might not happen right away. And it is really, really tricky. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask is why is parenting so hard for a narcissistic person? I mean, I have my own opinions, but I'm going to let you say it from your perspective. Um, um, so narcissists, because of the me mental disorder, they love and they thrive. Okay, they love and they thrive, and this is going to be controversial, on chaos. They love chaos. They are the most chaotic people you have ever met. They lie, manipulate, gaslight, um, and they don't keep good tabs on their child. They don't keep good records. You know, they're always late for soccer practice. They're always late for gymnastics. They want to look good, so they make sure that they're there, but they're late. They have no deference to any type of authority, so they'll get into arguments with the coaches. They'll write HR emails to people. I mean, they will just, anything that's chaotic, they enjoy. So the fact that there's, you know, somebody, um, one, of the, one of your viewers said, uh, my ex is spiraling now because I give him everything he wants. Never argue, never fight anything. He comes up with the things to get me in, into court. So that's what I mean. No matter what, even if you just lay all your weapons down, that does not mean they're not going to come after you. Because now you're, you're saying, I have my peace. They're like, what does that even look like? They don't know what it is. So they love chaos, and that's why it's hard for them to parent, but they will fight you tooth and nail. I mean, there's narcissistic parents that won't go uh, and get their children's teeth cleaned. Oh, yeah, we see that a lot. You know, I mean, just twice a year. It's not that hard, okay? If you have custody of your child, go get their teeth cleaned. I mean, that's part of being primary custodian, right? And then they'll say, go to court and say, dad didn't do this. And dad's like, well, I only see my child on the weekends because you don't let me see my child during the week. So how am I supposed to do this on the weekends? Do you know what I'm saying? So again, parenting with them is so hard. And I think I said something last time that I just want to clarify because people came at me for the comments. Um, you know, they said, I talked about how 50-50 is how the courts like it to be be obviously in, in Los Angeles counties particularly, but that doesn't mean that we're um, advocating 50-50 in a narcissistic abuse relationship. We're not, you know, we have to see the documents and the evidence and the facts. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want to just clarify that because people came for me in the comments afterwards and said, don't believe her. She's saying 50-50. That's never what I said, and that's not even what we believe at our firm. So, you know, 50-50 for willing, able, ready um, fathers and mothers, n you know, not 50-50 for these chaotic, narcissistic parents that can't even bathe themselves, <laughs> you know, much less, <laughs> you know, take care of a child. So, um, I you know, uh, narcs only believe in competition. That's 100% true. Yeah. So, 
um, you know, things of that nature. Okay. Okay. So another thing, because they like to fight for things they don't care about is frivolous motions. How do you deal with when your client is being served frivolous motions? Because that is expensive and it takes up so much time and energy. And that's an issue that our clients are dealing with all the time, vexatious litigation. Yes. So when the narcissist loses control of their spouse, they will fight tooth and nail, okay, for things they don't want, things that, you know, and then they will do what's called financial abuse and fight, you know, weaponizing the legal system. Okay. So that is, that is what happens. And so when we know that when we have the sweetheart client, which I'm going to take Chris's word, but I'm going to give him credit for when we have that type of client, then we set the client up for success. We say, here is the roadmap of where this is going to go. Although you want to be divorced like yesterday, this is going to be a lengthy process for you. And even after the divorce is finalized, they're going to turn up the heat and bring frivolous motion after motion after motion, like just the most ridiculous things you've ever heard of. Okay. So they try to weaponize it. So in California, I don't know what it is for um, other states in other states, but there is a family code section 271 and family code section 271 says that if someone is acting in bad faith, then the judge can order sanctions and sanctions is usually money sanctions. And so we always have that in our arsenal. Um, and we, you know, we'll put that in letters to opposing counsel to give them notice that, Hey, 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 this is where this is going and we're putting you on notice. Now, if they file the motion, then obviously we have to rigor rigorously um, defend the motion, but we always ask for sanctions. So that's part of our sort of arsenal and I'm giving away like, you know, our firm's secret, but- no, But I love it because, you know, we specialize in dealing with people with legal abuse. So I, I love that. Yes. So, you know, things of that nature, um, I have, I'm sort of a newer client and I don't think she would mind if I, I obviously not going to disclose anything that's confidential, but you know, the attorney and I, here's an example of this, where this happens. The attorney and I, you know, the attorney called me, said she was new on the case. We were also the second attorney. We were also new on the case. We know that it's a narcissist abuse case with a very young child. And the first email, that the other attorney opposing counsel wrote said the word alienation in there. Didn't say parental, said alienation. And I nailed her to the cross. There was about 10 emails after that saying to her, words matter. You can't say the word alienation because that's exactly how the narcissist is going to paint it in court. And so they're going to say, mom's alienating moms. In, and I, I even copied the last three or four months of the child. Every time the child went to visit with dad, because mom had kept, you know, she was journaling and she kept really, really good um, calendar. And I said, here, this, you know, January, dad didn't see the child because there was no visitation order, but he could have voluntarily seen the child, but he was off on you know, vacation, then February, you know, then 
So I said, please show me where you are alleging there's any type of alienation. In fact, we jumped on the fact that dad wanted to see his daughter like two days, you know, because he got the day off or, or his schedule. And so I said, words matter. And I put that in bold. And I said, do not come to this firm and talk about alienation to us. Don't do it. And I said, next time you do it, 270, 271 motion. And uh, so, that's how we deal with it. We're very strong because we know that our clients have been abused and they're going to get the, the narcissist and their attorney is going to attempt to abuse. And so there was literally back and forth emails. And I even, you know, I don't do this in every case, but I told my client, like, don't even worry about the attorney bills because I had to set this other attorney right on the right path. And so, um, but that's how we deal with it. We just put up a very strong front for our clients. I'm really glad to hear that. And I think that um, not even just assertive, but aggressively dealing with false claims of alienation are what we, we need lawyers to do more frequently because it ends up most of the time where someone just makes a claim, they have nothing to back it up of alienation. And people like our sweetie pies are in defense mode, terrified that they're going to have the children taken away because somebody claimed alienation. But I, again, I'm so glad that you said that. And I think that's going to be a big relief to people watching this, um, to watching this, to know that there are attorneys that aggressively can fight it and nip it in the bud before it goes anywhere. And you know what? I just want to address one other thing. My husband's saying litigation noise, using words to strike and trigger clients. Um, the narcissist through their attorney uses their attorney as another weapon, right? Because narcissists generally don't come to court on their own. They usually go through their attorney. So they'll rewrite the history of, you know, why they left the, 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 the more innocent spouse, why the innocent spouse was so evil. And my thing is, okay, fine that's why you're divorcing them what's all this other extra noise about but the attorney will write that into a motion and it'll be a 30-page motion about their past and in other states it's different but in california in california it's a no-fault state so i don't care what the client did male or female it's irrelevant unless there was you know physical abuse which is documented through police reports abuse on the child which is documented through cps reports i don't really care what your reason is like one uh, one uh, attorney said you know that our client was begging to get him back i said it's irrelevant you know, they just use words to trigger. And I told my client, I said, you're going to read this and you're going to be triggered, but do not let them win. If you get triggered, they win. And she said, okay, so what do I do? I said, ignore it. You know that you know the truth. And this is what the client is doing to gaslight the situation. Well, who cares if you went back a million times? It's irrelevant. You're getting divorced. So, um, you know, a couple of people here say narc attorneys are manic. Uh, yes. You know, I had attorneys <laughs> stalk me on behalf of the narc. Yes. I mean, the narc attorneys are almost, in my opinion, worse than the narc. And I'll tell you why. They, they're used as um, flying monkeys. And we have a, 
an oath that we make to, you know, the California State Bar, any any state within the 50 states, right? So that's what happens. That's, you know, we have that oath to represent the client, but also be truthful and honest and put, you know, good evidence forward and not lie. And so when the attorneys don't do that, in my opinion, they're actually even worse than the narcissist. Nar narcissist because a narcissist is mentally ill i don't know what's going on with the attorney you know are they just advocating to advocate like what are we what are we fighting for you want to say that he's or she's right okay clap clap right but and how, how much is that person this? paying to just to, to say they're right about something that doesn't even matter yeah. yes yeah you're getting lots of lots of hearts and claps that one okay um and again Pita, i know the oh we, we could talk for hours and hours but i want to keep it under an hour and we're at about 40 minutes and i want to make sure that we get to something that is was definitely part of your training and that's um some of these un unspeakable types of abuse that occur against children and we have a number of clients whose kids have been sexually abused and they feel like they are just hitting a wall with knowing how to put evidence together that's actually credible. Um, I mean, you can imagine how terrifying it is, putting aside what the child is dealing with him or herself, but for a parent to feel helpless in a situation where their, their kid is being abused and nobody is listening. So from your background, could you give some tips on how someone can strengthen a case with really awful, I mean, all kinds of abuse are bad, but sexual yeah. abuse is um, especially uh, sensitive topic and it's damaging to the child so the first thing is get police reports get cps reports take your child to the hospital don't be afraid to do that sometimes a hospital will call cps um for you and so make sure that you get the documents the evidence together um if you feel that the father is or the mother is being abusive i need to see the evidence i can't go based on your words right because i'm not seeing your child and i want to you know abraham lincoln i think he was the one that said you know trust but verify i need to verify what you're saying so in my a uh, child um child molestation case right now that i said was in a different state we have cps reports we have actually two cps reports we have um, two hospital records. We have, you know, we just hired an expert nurse that's going through all the documentation. We're going to have an expert nurse testify because this child was under the age of five when the sexual molestation happened. I want to also know the history. You know, I asked the client, is sexual abuse ever happened in 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 this in this in this family and i was told this whole story that yes you know the grandfather did to the other kids so we, i want to know the history because unfortunately these toxic patterns usually repeat themselves unless they're stopped right so i was so glad that i answered asked that question um in one of my zooms with the client because i was like almost bracing in my chair like don't you think that that would have been relevant to tell your attorney you know from the onset that um the client was like i didn't think about it i don't know i mean the client does not know okay and half the time the client is also a deer in headlights right mm -hmm. they're also going part of me doesn't want to believe that this could happen 
by a spouse or an ex-spouse. So that's, you know, I need to see the documentation. You know, don't record people, but take videos. You know, take videos if you are having difficulty with exchanges. Um, the police station is a neutral zone. It's considered a neutral zone. Um, and as far as the courts are concerned. So if you don't feel safe, go to the police station. The police are there to help you do exchanges, you know, meet in a public place. Like there's so many things that you can do, but at the end of the day, you know, a judge said to me once, you know, people lie, but documents don't. We need to see the documentation because I, trust my clients that's why i take them on but i need to also verify it for the court yeah really important one, all right so i'm go ahead uh, one thing i wanted to just say because we didn't get to this last time and i i really want to talk about this if it's okay with you is about mm -hmm. smear campaigns yeah um, yeah i just want to talk about this because i see this a lot um we have a social um, social media managers um, that do all of our social media, but I do look at the comments and I do sometimes late at night, my husband will testify <laughs> to this, um, you know, write the comments and look at the comments. And I just want to be, um, I just want to make sure that your viewers and your audience know that, you know, a lot of times narcissists will engage in smear campaigns. They will write to HR they will talk dirty, you know, to your parents, to your siblings, to your friends and say, this person was awful. This is what they did. You know, all the stuff before you can even get your narrative, your true narrative out there. Um, there was a case that happened in January 2023. So it's a very new case where a Wall Street money manager um, is suing his ex-wife. Okay, it's not his current wife that he's divorcing his ex-wife for $7 million after he said that she, the ex-wife, sent messages to his work email claiming he had hired prostitutes and had, you know, STD bills and things of that nature. I just want to, that your audience to be sure, to, to know this. Don't retaliate because that's what the narcissist wants. Do you see what I'm saying? This Wall Street manager did the right thing. He's taking it to court and trying to prove his case in court. Sometimes I see um, new spouses <laughs> of, you know, um, husband's new spouse. You know, they have these things where they're going back and forth and, they're, you know, they're, they're opening a new uh, Instagram account to talk about it. The, social media, yeah, the, right? The, the, On social media. The biological mom and how she evil she is. That can all be true. You, you can do that anonymously, okay? Because what happens is these narcissists, they love chaos. Remember we said that from the onset? So they're going to love that. They're going to be like, ooh, somebody's talking about me. And then they will drag the new wife or girlfriend to court. They will get a, a, a restraining order on her. I've seen this before. They'll do all these things. So just don't retaliate. The, the way to win with the narcissist is not to retaliate, is to go about your life and complete and utter peace. Okay. And I know that's so hard for a lot of people that are in this yeah. to, to, to understand. Um, 
you know, from my own personal experience, I'm a, you know, a mom, a stepmom of three boys. From my own personal experience, you know, my husband says, don't go down the rabbit hole. And we all do, right? We all do. Because we're not perfect and we're triggered. We get triggered. Don't take the bait. Don't feed the wolf, he's saying. <laughs> um, you know, so just if you just maintain your peace and go through it in the right channels through an attorney, there are people that are self-help centers, you know, that can help you document, get restraining orders, things of that nature. But don't take to social media, please, because as tempting as that is, I don't want the sweetheart to now have a restraining order or their spouse to have one. Do you see what I'm saying? So just do it the way that this Wall Street money manager and you're, everyone's going to say, well, he's got the money to do it. But no, he lost his job over this. So don't do it. Go through the, the right legal channels and get an attorney that believes you. Okay. And, you know, Trish is saying the severe campaign is the, deliberate um debilitating. debilitating yeah one's reputation is hard to change yes i mean this wall street manager lost his job i mean could you imagine but we've seen that where people will you know spell not that we represent but the ex the spouse the on the other side will write hr you know letters and things of that nature and we just take that to court because that's great evidence for us it's like okay your honor this is what they're doing and you know they're getting child support so if if my client loses their job, then this, this is the reason why. So let's take note of that in court. And so there's ways that we can use that evidence. But you as the audience do not do that, please. Be very careful because they're looking for a little bit of weakness or a little bit of chaos to just milk that for the next couple of years. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, they love the um, yeah. Over time, children know which parent is present and healthy. Again, that's why you have to maintain your own peace in your home. Yep. Okay. So, um, of course, we are almost at another hour, <laughs> and I, I want to wind it up, but I, you know, we're going to be doing it part three. Yes. At yes, some point. Absolutely. But part three, before you tell people how to find you, is we are going to be together in person in LA. In yes. July. So we'll be talking about that um, with when we finalize the details. Yes. But it's going to be. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say it's going to be fun and food and mingling. Yes. So we're going to co-host a networking happy hour event with um, Been There, Got Out, and uh, do a book signing with for you guys, for uh, Lisa and Chris. And then um, we're going to co-host it. Um, we're going to invite past and present clients, CPAs, mental health professional, um, a financial advisor such as my husband that helps uh, people with, um, you know, get through the divorce process with their finances and what that looks like. Um, we invite all of you to come network with us. And it's going to be in Los Angeles, California, and we're going to have also, I think a lunch and learn in Orange County. We're going to also do something at our office in Sherman Oaks. So, um, you know, some people are already saying they'll be there. Um, my husband doesn't have a choice. Why is he saying he'll be there? <laughs> He's but yes, so just so your audience knows, we are here to help. I do consultations in all 50 states. 
Um, obviously, I can't give legal advice unless it's in California, but I help a lot of people find attorneys and attorneys with psychology backgrounds so they can use me as a resource for that for the consultation. Um, our office is obviously in Los Angeles County and um, we have a, a satellite office in Newport Beach where we live. Um, we serve Ventura, Los Angeles, Orange County, Riverside, which is a huge geographic area. And so we, um, thank you, Priscilla. She's saying I'm amazing for any victim of, of abuse. Thank you so much. Um, so yes, so getting in contact with us, once we solidify the date in July, we will let everyone know and you know, shoot it out to all of our social media um, outlets. But we're very excited to, you know, partner with, you know, been there, got out because there's so many synergies in so many different areas. And we're just now finding out some of them because we met each other in person. And so, you know, we look forward to helping more people, educating them and really, you know, trying to make a very difficult, difficult process a tiny bit easier, just a tiny bit, you know. And so um, please reach out to us if you, you know, when you need a strong advocate. Yes, I'm sure they will. And someone said you're late to this. It's fine because I'm posting the recording in the next few minutes if we can ever get off, which is really hard for us to do for every us. time we have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But thank you so much, Padita. Um, nice meeting you, John. Also, thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'm putting the recording up, and we'll give details of when we'll be together in real life in California this summer. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Been There, Got Out podcast. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And you can find us easily on all major social media, but especially Instagram and YouTube. If you think we might be able to help you with your own situation, just visit beenthergotout.com and click the button to schedule a complimentary discovery call. Thanks again, and see you next time.